That's our text this morning. And here in these four verses, Paul confronts this Colossian delusion with the truth that knowing Christ gives you understanding, joy, and sanity. That's our main point. Knowing Christ gives us understanding, joy, and sanity. And I'll explain what each of those things mean in just a moment. But first, Paul prefaces those truths in a remarkable way that I want to draw your attention to. And this is the first point on your outline. A pastoral struggle in verse 1 there. Let me read verse 1 one more time here. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Okay. If you're not familiar with this guy, Paul, let me tell you, the Apostle Paul is a really smart dude, okay? Like, he has a deep understanding of not only his own religion, Judaism, which is now becoming Christianity, but he also has a deep understanding of, of the religions around him and the culture and the books and the, 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 all, the, all the prophets and everything. He knows it. It's in his head. Moreover, Jesus Christ personally appeared to Paul and gave him an intimate understanding of who he is and what he had done. And Paul's writings are sometimes so deep and complex that the apostle Peter, one of Paul's contemporaries, essentially writes an op-ed to all Christians. And he says, listen, guys, sometimes Paul's just really hard to understand. It's true. So when Paul begins a sentence with, I want you to know, he could finish that sentence in some really mind-blowing ways. So it is simply remarkable that the first thing he says that he wants them to know is that he's struggling for them. Moreover, Paul only speaks one time. In this entire letter, claiming anything he wants. I don't have it. I want it. What is that one thing he wants? It's this. He wants the uh, the Colossians to know how great a struggle he has for them. That's really remarkable. And so we might wonder, I don't want to assume here. What does he mean by struggle? Like, what does that word mean? Is he like arm wrestling somebody? What's he doing? Well, he doesn't explain it here. But he does use the word Two other times in this letter. One time it refers to prayer and both times it refers to labor or toil, to hard work. See, Paul has a pastor's heart, a shepherd's heart, and and his heart drives his knees to prayer and it drives his hands to work hard so that this flock of his would know Jesus Christ. And this, friends, is the same heart, I can assure you, that the elders here at Grace Fellowship Church have for you. Our hearts for you guys drive each of our knees to prayer and our hands to hard work for you, for this flock, that you would know Jesus Christ. I've seen that so clearly, even in these past few weeks, as I've been returning from sabbatical and getting caught up, I'm seeing this again and again. So let me paraphrase Paul here to make this personal. The the elders here at Grace Fellowship Church, we want you to know how great a struggle we have for you. And, And 
for those in Bullsburg and Belfont and Pine Grove Mills and all those who don't yet know our faces, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. We want you to know that. We want you to know that at the core of your being. So, so that's why every one of us, each of the elders, we, we struggle every day in every sermon, in every email, in every elder meeting, in every prayer toward that end. We want you to know that because we want you to know Jesus Christ. And that is the next point on your outline. That's exactly where Paul goes. These are, these are the benefits of knowing Christ. These are at least three that Paul mentions right here. Because the Apostle Paul and your elders here are prayerfully struggling and laboring for those under our care, and it is toward these ends. What are the ends? Right here, it's picking up again in verse 2. This is the end to which we are struggling. So that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Are you getting this message? I'm going to keep saying this. I want you to know it. Which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Paul says this, and we say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Yes, that's a mouthful. It's like one sentence practically. And Paul is sometimes really difficult to understand. But let me observe three benefits that Paul wants us to know and to be encouraged by here so that no deception or delusion will stand a chance with any of you guys. Knowing Christ gives us understanding, joy, and sanity. Here's the understanding part. In verse 2, he says, he wants us to reach all the riches of full assurance of what? Understanding and of knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And in verse 3, In Christ, there are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. And so if you're the type of person that likes to underline things in your Bible, underline those words. Understanding, knowledge, wisdom, knowledge. See, see, Paul here is struggling and praying and saying all this so that Christians would have full assurance of the understanding. So that we can know truth about God. Isn't it remarkable that we can know anything about God? Like, that is a gift of grace. Because for starters, not only are our tiny little brains too fragile and weak and frail to to comprehend the infinite, but we've tremendously worsened the problem by, by being sinners in constant rebellion against God. And so how and why would God make himself known to us at all? Well, here's the answer. Verse 2. Through God's mystery, which is Christ. That's why. That's how. See, now in the Bible, when you see the word mystery, don't think like Sherlock Holmes. Like it's not that kind of mystery per se. It's not, it's not like a drama that's unfolding per se. The word mystery refers to something that is hidden. It's hidden. And then, and then when it, when the mystery is unveiled, it's, it's revealed. That's, that's what Paul has in mind here. And so what he's saying is that for generations and generations, from Genesis 1-1 until the very last t- page of the, the Old Testament, the promised Christ, the promised Messiah was hidden. He was, he was there. He was active the whole time. Every page of the Old Testament. That's why we preach Christ from the scriptures. 
but we couldn't see him. Ah, but now Paul says Christ has come. The mystery has been revealed. And so Paul struggles that the Colossians and the Laodiceans, that's like the next closest church to the the Colossians, and that all peoples would have full assurance of their understanding and knowledge of that mystery, which is Christ. Paul's saying, you can know him. I want you to know that you can know Christ. He was hidden, but he's not hidden anymore. And and in him are vast stores of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, Paul is bringing this up probably because wisdom and knowledge and understanding, that's coming from these, these people doing these delusions. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But But it's just built into us to want wisdom and knowledge. In fact, like everyone in this world, ever since Adam and Eve took that fruit in hand... And that they have passionately declared by their words and their actions that we will have knowledge. We will have understanding. But we will do so on our terms. We want knowledge, but we do not want God. Just take him out of the picture. Before I knew Christ, I, I had said almost those exact words. And in fact, all of us have at one time, every one of us have either said by our, our words or by our actions that we want your stuff, God, we want your benefits, God, but we don't want you. We want what you have to give us, but we don't want you. And so by our ignorance, by our smallness, by our sin, by our rejection of God himself, we gave up all hope of having knowledge and understanding. Yet, here's something even more remarkable than anything else we've seen yet. Although we did not want God because of his great love for us, God gave himself to us in Christ anyway. But that's not all. Because we, we, remember, we, we wanted knowledge. We wanted understanding. He knows we want that. And he gives it to us. Because of his great love for us, God also gave us, according to this text, full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that means, friends, that when we wanted understanding and knowledge apart from God, we got neither. But if you and I have put our faith in Jesus Christ, you and I have now received understanding of God. And so you get both. You get understanding and you get God himself. And of this, Paul reminds us we can have full assurance. That's your first benefit. Here's your second. I said that knowing Christ brings joy. Now, careful Bible study scholars here will say, well, Tom, I object. Paul does not use the word joy here. You're right. Paul does, however, speak of all the riches of full assurance of understanding of Christ. 
And Paul does speak here of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of Christ. And those words, riches and treasures, are meant to produce joy in us. Listen, in in one of his shortest parables, Jesus says it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that is hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his what? Do you remember? Joy. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That man found hidden treasure, and in his joy, he sells everything he has to get it. And, and it was his delight to do so, because that hidden treasure is worth so much more than everything else we have. And, and friends, Paul is saying the exact same thing here. Jesus Christ was hidden... But in him are all the riches and all the treasures, and that should elicit joy. Listen, when when someone gives one of my kids $20, their eyes bug out. They like they run around cheering and letting everyone know of the riches they found, right guys? That's that's your response? Kind of. Okay, we'll, we'll take that. Brothers and sisters. In Christ, we've been given a sum so much greater than 20 bucks. We've been given a sum so large that, that we could pay off our credit cards and our college debt and our mortgage and our friends' mortgages and the national deficit, and we'd still have so much left over that we wouldn't even have noticed it. Brothers and sisters, please desire riches, seek treasure. Not the kind that moth and rust and bank failures destroy, but the kind that finds infinite satisfaction in knowing Jesus Christ. Seek him through his word. That's where this treasure is found. I recommend Colossians as a great place to start. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, I don't know, how do I start knowing Jesus? Turn to Colossians 1 and just read that. It's glorious. We're going to keep talking about that. And, and, and you can seek him also through being in community with other godly people, other treasure hunters. Spend your lives with people who have found these riches and are seeking even more. This church is full of such people. As one who has been away for most of the past year, let me tell you, this church is packed with treasure hunters. This church is a city on a hill. You guys are really great at your Indiana Jones thing. And as we together find these unspeakable treasures in Christ, it will lead this church into greater and greater depths of joy. That's benefit number two. The third benefit. This is the last one we're going to cover. Sanity. Sanity. And I'm going to spend the most of our time talking about this one because this, this Paul says himself is the core of his argument. Look at verse four again. Paul says this, I say this, I say all of what I've just said in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So all of what we've talked about so far, all of what we've talked about this morning, he's saying all of it in order that the Colossians will not be deluded by others. To be deluded is to be deceived, tricked, led astray. Someone who is deluded is, is someone who has an un or, or an incorrect view of reality. In other words, they're insane. They're disconnected from what's real and true and trustworthy. They're denied understanding and they're therefore denied the treasures of joy. And Paul is vehemently saying here, 
I don't want that for you. I'm saying all this. Yes, I know some of it's hard to understand. But I'm saying all this because I want you to be sane. But, But there are obviously some people here who don't share Paul's passion in that regard for sanity. Because Paul writes there in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you. I say this that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So there are obviously people who are actively engaged in deluding, deceiving, tricking, leading astray this Colossian church. So who are these people? And what kind of delusion are we even talking about here? Well, let me read you a few other verses from Colossians 2 that tell us more about these people. If you have your Bibles, you can take a look at these with me. This is just a few verses later from where we, we picked up. This is verse, uh, uh, verse 8. See to it, Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive, makes you a slave by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Jump down a little bit further. Verse 16. Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. A couple verses later, verse 18, listen, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. That word asceticism, if you're not familiar with it, it refers to a lifestyle of of strict self-denial often from food or or sex or anything pleasurable. In other words, the opposite of joy. Ascetics are like, no, joy is bad. You You shouldn't be happy like that. And finally, a few verses later, in verse 20 and and, and following, Paul, Paul says this, Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teaching. These have an indeed, indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, who are these people? Friends, every indication here is that these people and their delusional teachings aren't forces coming from outside the Colossian church. Because Paul is warning against people here who are judging and disqualifying. He's warning against self-made religion. The people who are teaching these things are spiritual people. And they have an appearance of wisdom. And apparently they have a lot of self-control. Because you could say what you will about ascetics. Like, they have to have self-control. Like, that's the one thing they do have. And also they're talking about angels and traditions and Sabbath days and seeing visions. And so these people sound really holy. And these people look really good and sound really wise. They'd be people that the Colossians would have respected. And if they were right here right now, you and I would look at them and respect them. They'd be people that are probably leaders in this church whether formally former formally or informally they have some kind of authority or power to judge and disqualify and the idea of being judged by them or disqualified by them would be devastating to these people there'd be real tangible pressure to listen to them 
and to submit to them. And so here is the tremendous problem. Paul is making it crystal clear that these leaders, these teachers are actually deluding the church. They're deceiving them. They're lying. And if the Colossian Christians fail to see these things for what they are, they, like these teachers, will be insane. They'll be out of touch with reality. Okay, so so what does that look like? What does it look like practically? What kind of delusions are we talking about here? Is this heresy? Liberalism? Secularism? Like monasticism? Like what is this? Well, perhaps all of those things, probably, but there's actually something far more fundamental that Paul wants the Colossians to see. And there's something far more fundamental that Grace Fellowship, I want you to see today. So I'm going to continue reading here in this chapter, in Colossians chapter 2. But, and you will probably never hear me say these words again, but listen, don't read along in your Bibles for a moment. I want you just to listen. So close your eyes if you want, or eyes on me. Listen to this. This is Colossians 2, starting in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. For you have been filled with the whole fullness of deity, who is the head of all rule and authority. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. And having been buried in baptism, you were also raised through faith in the powerful working of God. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. If you just listened to what I shared and that sounded true, you have just been taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit and human tradition according to the elemental spirits of this world. What? Now, wait a minute. Tom, wasn't that just scripture you read? Yes, it was. I read that scripture. I didn't change any of the words. I didn't add any of the words. But I omitted every reference in that text to Jesus Christ. Let me read it again. Colossians 2 starting at verse 8, without those omissions. And this time, please do read along in your Bibles. Which, you know, and if you're the kind that underlines, oh, please underline. Underline furiously all these amazing references to Christ, and I'll help you out. Ready? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, Christ's cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Twelve times. Twelve times Jesus and his saving work was referenced in that text. And so to strip Jesus out of this text is to change Paul's entire message. And that's insane. That's absolutely delusional. It'd be like trying to play a guitar without strings or go to a beach without water or to... You know, have a sentence without words. It doesn't make sense. It's insane because strings make it a guitar and, a, and water makes it a beach and words make a sentence. So does Christ make Christianity. And yet extracting Christ from Christianity is the very thing these Colossian teachers are trying to do. Everything they're advocating for is about human philosophy, human tradition, human precepts, human teachings, human religion. And it sure does sound plausible, doesn't it? It still has elements of truth in it. If I stand up here and talk about God and his power and changing the world and loving one another and forgiving others, and if I package it all with a big smile and amusing illustrations and lots of energy for 30 minutes, you'll all go home happy. Won't you? Who's going to complain about that? You'd feel like you have understanding and wisdom as a result. And so you'd feel joyful and you'd feel powerful. You'd feel like you could take on the world and you would be absolutely insane. You'd be deluded. And don't miss this key point. The danger here is not from our society pressuring us to conform to their worldview. The danger here is not from liberal churches that have capitulated to that worldview. The danger here is not atheists or Muslims or Mormons. Those things do have their dangers. There are things to be warned about with them, but that is not what Paul is addressing here. That's not what I'm addressing here. The danger here is that both the Apostle Paul and I were most concerned is that that Bible-believing churches with rock-solid statements of faith that we and our friends are attending and singing at and serving at are deluded. That's the danger. That's the problem. That's what Paul is addressing here. Don't go there, he's saying. Watch out, Grace Fellowship Church 2,000 years from now. Because whether intentionally or unintentionally, this morning, right now, there are sermons being preached, and there are worship songs being sung, and there are Sunday schools being taught that are completely devoid of Jesus Christ. 
There, there may be a, a cross printed in the bulletin. It could be hanging on the wall. It could, be, it could be everywhere in their name. But the one who gave his life on that cross for our sins, the one whom all the scriptures point to, is never once exalted. Sometimes he's not even referenced. All flying under the banner of Christianity. Now listen. Those who know me know, yeah, Tom usually yells during his sermons. I'm doing more yelling than normal this morning, and I know that. Because the elder said, you can preach on anything you want this morning. Whatever you want. And this is something that has been agonizing me over the past year. This sermon has been a year in the making. i got a lot of yelling to get out of my system. <laughs> but in all, in all sincerity, if someone had said to me what I just said to you a year ago, I'll tell you what I would have said. I would have been like, yeah, okay, listen, I hear you, I know what you're saying, I think you're just overstating your case. Is it really as bad as you say it is? Friends, I tell you with all sincerity that after so many church services over the past year that my family And I attended right here in our town. I sat there after the sermon with tears in my eyes because my heart was aching so deeply for my brothers and sisters, sometimes hundreds of them, sitting around me who just spent the past hour being deluded. Because during those services, Jesus Christ was never once in the spotlight. And sometimes he was not even invited up on the proverbial stage. Now, that was not the case in every church. Don't hear me saying that. Nor was it the case in every service. But it was the case more often than it was not the case. Now, I don't share that to try to say, Ah, those bad churches. What's wrong with them missing Jesus? How could they miss Jesus? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we here are not immune, friends. Grace Fellowship can fall prey to that same delusion. We surely have fallen prey to that same delusion. I've fallen prey to that delusion. I have given sermons. I've led Bible studies that were functionally Christless. How? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it's in my very nature. I want God's knowledge without God. I want Christianity without Christ. Brothers and sisters, we must actively and persistently fight for sanity. We must struggle together that our hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is why Christians gather together on Sunday mornings. This is why Christians gather together in homes throughout the week. This is why the scriptures call us to remind one another of who Christ is and what he has done and to do that every single day in every way possible. We need this. We need this so that no one may delude us with plausible arguments, even if that person is our own hearts. So 
Toward that end, it seemed appropriate for me to conclude this message by placing the spotlight fully on the only one who is worthy of it. Let me exalt with you in just a few of the glories of the riches that are ours in Christ. This is the last point. I just called it in Christ. And I'm getting that straight out of Colossians chapter 1. We read it as the call to worship this morning. Let me read it again right now so that we can more fully appreciate the glory and the depths of this text. Colossians chapter 1 starting at verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And here's where we come in. And you, who were once, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he... Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I love that passage because you can't extract Christ from it. There'd be nothing left. (laughs) Friends, let me just encourage you to study Colossians chapter 1. Like, study this. Read it tonight over dinner. Read it for devotionals in the morning. You can pick about just just about any word in there and meditate on it for a few minutes or hours and see how it's all about Christ and for Christ and through Christ. Texts like that show us that everything we want, everything we long for, everything we were made to be and to do in this world finds its purpose and its fulfillment and its power in Jesus Christ. What can we not overcome? What can we not face if we know Christ in these ways? Listen, I know from you guys telling me personally and the fact that there's a big old university in our backyard that some of you are drowning under your workloads right now. Amen? Murmurs. Okay, you're so tired from all your work. Our our human precept might suggest using a task list and a calendar and saying no to more things. Okay, I agree with all those things. I try to do all those things. But listen, no degree of task task management or calendaring will satisfy what you're longing for. But Jesus does. He always accomplishes what he intends. He always has. He always will. And by his grace, he uses even weak, fallible, and broken jars of clay like us to accomplish his perfect purposes. So you can sleep soundly at night, not because you have a to-do list, but because your to-do list is in his sovereign hands. And you can, you can sleep soundly at night, not because you've got an organized calendar, but because every meeting on your calendar has been lovingly ordained by him for his gracious purposes. Whether we have the most productive day of our lives or don't accomplish a thing, Jesus reigns. So it may seem like a plausible argument to expect 
that you will find the rest you're looking for after this week or after finals or after this big project or after this promotion or after this summer or when the kids are out of the house or whatever. It all sounds plausible. But all of that is stripped of Christ. Those things may help. There's some benefit to them, yes, but true rest is found only in Christ. You don't need to wait till next week or your vacation or anything else to find that rest. Jesus Christ and all his benefits can be yours right now. And what about you, friends? Maybe workload isn't your thing, but right now you are suffering through diseases of the body and of the mind. Maybe you were struggling with anxiety, depression, cancer, COVID. Let's praise God for counselors and medicines and, and therapies and all the incredible blessings of modern science. By all means, utilize them. Process your anxieties and try therapies and have surgery and take Advil. But listen, Jesus Christ is before all things and in him. All things hold together. Your counselor may be great, but she is not before all things. And I appreciate Advil, but Advil does not hold all things together. So whether anxious or carefree, lying in bed or leaping for joy, Jesus knows your pain. Jesus is there with you in your pain. And although we do not know why he chooses particular people to suffer in particular ways at particular times, we do know that he never wastes a moment of it. In joy and in suffering, in life and in death, Jesus reigns. Friend, do you feel distant from God? Perhaps it's been many weeks or months or years since you have felt close to him. And when, when friends, listen, you have heard me and others say, just go read your Bibles. I mean, I literally just said that like five minutes ago. Go read your Bibles. And you should, absolutely. But don't be deluded. Don't miss the point of the scriptures, which is Jesus Christ. Don't, don't miss, mishear this as saying that the scriptures are, are, aren't necessary for our faith. They are. That's how we know Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But as I saw personally over this past year, you can open your Bible, you can preach from the Bible, and you can miss the point of the Bible. Remember that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees by saying, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. It's shocking. And remember in Luke 24, where we find the resurrected Christ walking with his disciples on the Emmaus road. And it says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to his disciples what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What was the result? I love this. The disciples declared, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Do you know that burning? Do you know that passion? Do you know that joy of seeing Jesus in the scriptures? If not, friend, if you have felt distant from God, if that's not your experience, take the path that God himself has provided. And that path is Jesus Christ. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, including you, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body 
of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So it's not your devotion to him. It's not your insights into the scriptures or your church attendance record that reconciles you to God. It is only Jesus Christ. But Tom, you may object. You don't, you don't understand how messed up my life is. No, I don't. But Jesus does. And he specializes in fixing broken things. But Tom, you don't understand how badly I'm hurting. No, I don't. But Jesus does. He knows your every tear, friend, and he is weeping with you. Brothers and sisters, listen. Crushed dreams and meaningless jobs and unpaid bills and uncertain futures and lonely widows and lonely couples and broken relationships and wandering children and pornography addictions, every single one of these pains and 100,000 more exist in our hearts and our homes and they come through those doors every Sunday morning. Each and every one of them are in need of hope and healing and restoration and redemption and all of those things are only and perfectly fulfilled. In Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I said all of this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments to the contrary. There is no such thing as Christianity without Christ. And may there never be Grace Fellowship Church without Christ. Would Jesus Christ always be the one on this stage? And would he forever be in the spotlight? Let's pray. Jesus, we long to see you exalted. We confess that in our hearts, we have wanted knowledge without knowledge of Christ. We have wanted Christianity without the center point of Christianity. God, if my friends hear anything like me, it is so easy to go days, weeks, months, and barely acknowledge the worth and glory of Christ. God, we think that if we could just get our acts together, if we can just be holy, if we can, if we can look good, if we can get our quiet times in, if we can do our Bible reading, if we invite friends to church, whatever it is, then we're good. And we miss Jesus. God, we confess that. We lament that. We pray that you would not allow us to do that anymore. Would we cling to Christ? Would he be the centerpiece of our faith? Would he forever be in the spotlight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.